What is going on, everybody, and welcome to the seventh episode of the Die for the Pylon podcast. I'm your host, Cole Wancha, and I'm here with my partner, Zach Van Arsdale. This episode will be full of NFL and MLB headlines and stories from the goat doing goat things to the new money man in the bigs. But before we get into this, Zach, I must ask, how was life treating you, man? I'm pretty good, bro. Uh, how are you, man? I'm doing all right. You know, snow's falling. That means not a lot of school in the books, but hey, that's not what we're here to talk about. So a couple Sundays ago, we sat in front of our television uh, screens, eating eating some wings, most likely maybe some some potato chips, and you know it, I'd say it was a pretty good game. It wasn't very competitive, but Zach, what surprised you about the Super Super Bowl Fifty Six? And uh, let's break it down for a little bit. I think the most surprising thing was how not how bad the Chiefs offense was, but it was just, it seemed they were so out of rhythm most of the game. I mean, no offensive touchdowns for the supposed to be number one offense in the NFL. You know, it's, it was definitely hard to, to look at that and see that. But again, the Bucks defense just did a great job of shutting down Patrick Mahomes. Hmm. They really, you know, the Bucks secondary contained Kelsey for the most part. They didn't let Tyreek Hill run deep. You know, they did everything they didn't do in, I think, the week six or week, you know, 12 matchup, week 12, I think. Yeah, they did everything that they, did, they didn't do in that week, and they came out, and it worked. And, I mean, that's what happens in the game of football sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you're totally right. And I, and I think really what it was, we, we, we said it um, with a bunch of our friends on the last one that, you know, the Chiefs without their offensive tackles – I read before that I read before the big game. Angie, Andy Reid described his tackles as a scrappy bunch. Really, that's not uh, that didn't really excite me hearing that. That he kind of basically just said they're not they're not great. They might do the job, but there's no guarantee. And going into the biggest game of the year, having that question mark next to your name is not very good. You know, it's it's not something that you you look forward to and feel confident about so Shaquille Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul were just annihilating Patrick Mahomes Shaquille Barrett had a 20% pressure rate that's that every five snaps he was at the quarterback just absolutely absurd Zach what about the Bucks offense was surprising to you and I know you I mean on it I think the most surprising thing was honestly how well the run game seemed to work yeah. I think I knew going into the game that the the Bucks were successful this year when they used the run game effectively totally and we saw that multiple times throughout the night I know Fournette had that really long that like I think it was 20 or 30 yard touchdown yeah. run um I think I think he had another big big run I, I can't remember how long it was but I feel like he had he definitely had a couple you know runs that so just set up really killer drives for the Bucks offense and Mm -hmm. you know Tom Brady was Tom Brady man I mean it seems every year in the big game he comes out and performs no matter how many dadders or how many haters there were you know I like to I like to keep a little pride in myself with that Gronkowski two touchdowns call you know Mm -hmm. um that was a bold prediction I thought he was gonna win MVP just for a split second there you know he wasn't able to but I mean I think I need to listen, listen to more things uh, that I say, because, you know, maybe they maybe they come out true more often, maybe. but maybe, yeah, it was, it was an all around good game from the Bucks. Really. They really didn't 
do anything too extreme, but they just, they played hard and they, they won the battle. So they won the small battles and it ended yeah. up winning the war. Oh yeah. And you, you talked about Leonard Fournette. Uh, every, uh, we, we started this podcast at the start of the playoffs and we saw Leonard Fournette in each game contribute to the win. Uh, Leonard Fournette just dominated in the playoffs. He, he was, he was running all over the place. He was running through guys. He was spin moves, juke moves, whatever you want to call it. And, but when, when the Bucks got him, I thought to myself that they didn't have to use him too much this year to win games. I mean, when you have Tom Brady, he's going to make plays with his arm, obviously. And they're, and they're going to win games because Tom Brady played well for the most part in the defense, but Leonard Fournette, when they, when they just took him out in the playoffs and, and they just, they just let him run. He really showed the, the Leonard Fournette that we saw in, in, um, in Jacksonville. So he's in for, he's in for a job. He's obviously going to get a starting job uh, in the off season. And maybe that means he's going to stay with the bucks, but we're going to cover that. I thought it was pretty, there, there were a couple things that we saw. We, we just said that Barrett and Pierre Paul were harassing Mahomes. Mahomes ran for, I believe the number is 497 yards before his passing, uh, his passing attempts uh, throughout the whole entire game. That is an absurd number. That That is ridiculous. The fact that Patrick Mahomes had a run around like that is the reason they lost the game. There's no other way to put it. Without the tackles, Mahomes had no chance. But the throws the guy was making, with, with all this pressure, he was spun around. He was on the sideline. He just, like, let it rip. And the ball would just somehow land in the vicinity of the receiver. Almost catchable at times. I think there were, the Chiefs had a couple key drops. Kelsey dropped the yeah. ball. Hill took one off the face mask. Um, I'm pretty sure Demarcus Robinson missed one in the back of the end zone, but Mahomes was just running around and making, trying to make plays. He wasn't getting too much help from his receivers, but it was truly remarkable what he was able to do. Excuse me. Um, and it, it was just, it was awesome. And then, you know, Antoine Winfield at the end of the game, you saw Tyreek Hill in He's like week 12, just, just absolutely burn him and do his, um, his, his thing. He does the peace sign. Yeah. Yeah. His signature peace sign. Um, and Winfield who had a great game. He's, he's really proving himself to be one of the better young safeties in the game. He goes up to Tyree kill sticks up the peace sign. He got fined for it. I'm pretty sure that I, I, I think that's kind of soft. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I, I just don't, I don't feel like that he needed to be fined. And then Tom Brady at the parade, I'm sure you saw he was yeah that was, was uh, that was an interesting sight to see. Oh yeah. I mean hey Brady Brady's having fun. It's it's Tampa Bay. He doesn't have to be under Belichick anymore. He can ha- he can do his thing. Um but really really what it boils down to is what what these two teams are going to do in the offseason cuz I think there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of free agents um from both teams. And to remain the Super Bowl, you know, favorites, contenders, whatever you want to call it, they, they need to make the proper moves. We're not necessarily going to go into who they're going to sign that's not already on their own team. But I think we need to cover, you know, what the team needs to do to retain some of these players and how important that is. So I'm going to start with the Chiefs. So according to Spotrack, the Chiefs are projected to be $21 million over the salary cap entering next season. 
that might seem like a, a big number and being over the salary cap, it might be a little terrifying for some, but football is different. They can rework contracts with guys. Tom Brady's reworked his contract before in the past. I think that Patrick Mahomes with his $24.8 million and Frank Clark with his $25.8 million due next year will be reworked a little bit. They'll eventually get this money. They're not taking away the player's money. They just won't make as much this year. So I'm assuming each player will rework their money. The Chiefs will make the necessary moves to have ample money under the cap to re-sign and go out and get some other players. So here's what I think they need to look into the offseason. So offensive skill positions are not the problem for Kansas City. They addressed their backfield last last year in the draft with Clyde Edwards-Lair at the end of the first round. And they'll also retain Damian Williams, who opted out of the season. There was a new COVID rule that if you had opted out, your contract extends an extra year. I don't know if there's an opt-out, like you could opt out of your contract if, if you did so, or the team can decide not to hold on to you. But Damian Williams is most likely the Chiefs backup running back going into next season. Sammy Watkins will enter free agency. I've read that uh, he wants to resign with the team, but once again, I don't think it's too crucial. Sammy Watkins is easily repla- easily replaceable, uh, and considering he barely played this year, uh, and they made it all the way to the Super Bowl, I don't think it's the biggest issue. Another player is uh, Demarcus Robinson, another guy that really had no impact on the season. It was really Hill, Kelsey, and Hardman, and that's about it. So I think well, this is one of the deeper free agent wide receiver classes we've seen in a while, and there are a lot of good talent, good wide receivers in this year's draft. Um, their offensive line. So you got the 29 year old center, Austin uh, reader who started 12 games this past season. You have guard Kalechi assembly and tackle Mike Remmers. All are enter- entering free agency. So the chiefs need to decide whether or not they want to bring any of these guys back. So one thing to note is Kalechi assembly has only played 19 games over the last three seasons. He started with his career with Oakland. He, he was really promising. He had a three or four nice years. But, you know, he's gotten injured, and he's, got, he's on the decline. So durability was Kansas City's biggest need at the end of the season, was ultimate, ultimately the reason why they lost the big game. So I think they bring back Reeder. I'm not sure if they bring back Remmers. Um, and to go to the other side of the ball, uh, the Chiefs gave up the 12th least average passing yards per game in the 2020 season. So this upcoming offseason, they've got free safety Daniel Sorensen, corners Charvarius Ward, and Brashad Breeland uh, in free agency. So personally, I feel like each of these guys have made a huge impact over the past couple of seasons. They're in the system. They know the system. I think they deserve to get re-signed. Um, and I think, I think they need to bring this core back. I mean, I think they've done a pretty good job. They weren't getting cooked against the Bucs. The, Evans wasn't going up and grabbing uh, footballs over they, they were playing they were they were interfering a lot that's another thing to note but that's the way they play and I guess you know the refs kind of chopped it down in the Super Bowl S- sorry voice crack and uh, and you know started calling pass interference and holding so regarding the draft I think the Ch- oh, obviously the Chiefs will pick at the bottom of the first round I believe they, they need to look at linebackers or edge rushers they don't really have a remark like a big name they have Frank Clark and they have uh, Chris Jones who's a defensive tackle but when it comes to linebackers, they're, they're already losing another linebacker. Um, I believe Anthony Hitchens, or I, I, I think it's their other linebacker. But they need to go grab a linebacker or an edge rusher. And in the, in the next two rounds, 
two and three, I think you go, I think you go offensive tackle or your offensive line. Um, but if I was a betting man, I would still pick the Kansas City Chiefs to win Super Bowl. Uh, what would it be? 56? 56. I think right. I said 56 earlier. My bad. But I, I, I think the Chiefs going into next year are still the favorites. I know the Bucs just won the Super Bowl, but how can you really bet against the Chiefs at this point? So, Zach, I know I just talked for a little bit, but talk about the Bucs. What do they need to do in the offseason to retain this Super Bowl, you know, pace? Yeah, well, so the Bucs uh... – kind of in a different situation in the Chiefs. They're entering free agency with around $30 million of cap space. So, you know, that does obviously put them in a position to retain some of these guys they're going to lose. Um, and some of the pieces they are going to lose were key key players in their run to the Super Bowl. You know, that includes uh, Rob Gronkowski, Levante David, and, and Shaquille Barrett. And especially David and Shaquille Barrett were key pieces, probably those, you know, two leaders on that Tampa Bay defense that really shut down a lot of offenses this year. And, you know, those three guys I just said are the three guys that I do think the Bucs need to bring back in free agency. Yeah, in free agency. I think they got to resign all three of them because they all bring something different to the table. You know, we saw in the Super Bowl, Rob Gronkowski, the two big touchdown catches. I mean, he's Tom Brady's go-to guy. He's been there with Tom. I think they won four Super Bowls together. You know, it's just him and Tom have connected so well that just to bring him back and allow Tom another target to throw to on that offensive side of the ball mm-hmm. is critical. And I believe Antonio Brown's a free agent, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. Um, so the chance that they might not re-sign him, I mean, I, th- I think he'll come back just because I think he likes playing with Tom Brady, obviously. I mean, who doesn't? But if they don't resign him, they got to go out and get Gronk back. They got to, you know, solidify another offense target. On the defense side of the ball, I mean, Levante David, he's been, he spent his entire career in Tampa Bay. I think he was drafted in 2012. Um, He's probably the captain. He's probably the leader of that Tampa Bay defense. And, you know, for him to come back and just stay in Tampa Bay, I think, it's a winning scenario for both sides. I'm not sure salary wise where that will be, but I just think that, you know, Levante David has shown over the past three or four years that he has been a very, very good, you know, guy on the defensive side. And lastly, Shaquille Barrett, uh, I believe last year he led the NFL in sacks. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just there, right. An NFL sack leader on Tampa Bay Bucks defense, you have to bring him back. You have to, continue like you said earlier with Jason Pierre-Paul the you know them two on the edge you know Mm -hmm. rushing quarterbacks and making it it a nightmare in the Mm -hmm. backfield is what the Tampa Bay Bucks want and need so you know bringing back Shaquille Barrett is is something the Bucks really need to do yep you know so I mean other than that in free agency I think the Bucks may have a little bit of money still left over with these contracts and I think They'll definitely try to resign a couple more guys, you know, especially like Antonio Brown. But I mean, we'll see from there. Oh yeah, I mean, I think it's gotten to the point. I mean, the Bucks are not a young team by any means. Once guys get older, their value starts going down. So you got guys like Nadamik and Sue in free agency this year. I think they definitely bring him back. Antonio Brown and Tom Brady are buddies. He's gonna come back. Leonard Fournette, you know. I wouldn't say the Bucks need Fournette, 
because they have Ronald Jones and he's proven that he's a good running back. But why not bring him back as well? I know he's making $2 million this year and he's not going to get $2 million. He's going to get probably something around maybe seven or eight, maybe 10, but maybe not 10. But I, I think those guys you need to bring back. And, and, and Chris Godwin, Chris Godwin's another player that is entering free agency and he's probably going to have, he's probably going to get the heavy or heaviest contract of any of the guys they need. So I don't think, I don't think Godwin you need to resign, but you know, if you're trying to bring back this team, you, the, the only way to do it is to, you know, retain your players if they're still at their you know peak of their careers. Right. Uh, so, and another thing is when Tom Brady goes and plays somewhere, people want to go play for him. Right. Yeah. We, we read it a couple of weeks or maybe a week ago, Adrian Peterson, who has this shaky uh, decision at home. He's, or not decision, situation at home. He's not making too much money, and I think he's broke. I don't know if that's the right word, but Adrian Peterson doesn't have a lot of money. He wants to go play with Tom Brady. He wants to go win a Super Bowl ring. You saw LaShawn McCoy won a Super Bowl ring. I think that's that's kind of the role that Adrian Peterson's looking in. It's because of Tom Brady. I mean, not that Adrian Peterson's going to go and help the Buccaneers uh, significantly, but it's just an example of a player that wants to go play for Tom Brady uh, and I think that's there's there's a possibility that occurs, right? Yeah. So similar, you said I think a lot of players are going to look, you know, to go to the Bucks. But I wonder how many of the Bucks are going to, you know, bring on board with them. Yeah. But like you said, the Bucks are definitely a team on the older side in the NFL, right? Yeah. They definitely have some from some young players, Antoine Winfield, Tristan Wirfs, um, yeah. you know, stuff like people like that. But if you're looking for the future, you know. Some of these guys, a guy you said, uh, Nadam Nakang Su, yep. like their age is going to be an issue. Jason Pierre Paul, I think next year, his contract ends next year. He's going to be 32. Yep. You know, the Bucks will have to draft well if they want to continue the success, which they, they've drafted, you know, decently well the last couple of years. But, you know, if you do look at the positions that they may need in this draft specifically, in my opinion, it's on the defensive side and it's the defensive line. It's getting depth um, at the defensive tackle position, similar to where Don the Kong Su is. You know, if they do bring him back, I mean, what, he might have one or two more, you know, good quality years at the defensive tackle, but, you know, you don't want to have to bring in a rookie and start him right away there. You bring in a rookie, you let him sit behind Don the Kong Su for a year develop those skills and then as soon as you know sue leaves or sue retires yep. you have that that whole field so i think the bucks have to think more for the future and developing players rather than drafting someone who's going to come in and start right away right another position i i looked at was the outside linebacker position uh just like i said jason pierre paul and obviously shaquille barrett you want to you want to sign shaquille barrett right but jason pierre paul 32 years old as i previously said you want to make sure you have depth for these positions where in two or three years, you're still competing. You know, we've seen teams who are older. They've, they've done well for two years. Yep. Um, similar to the Eagles, you could say, you know, mm -hmm. they did well for two, three years and now they're down the, they're down the gutter. You know, they, their offensive line's not good. Their defense is terrible. Right. right. And that's not where the bucks want to be in two or three years. They want to be contending 
And I think that building depth up, especially on the defensive side, is what's really going to put them over the top. Yeah, and I don't think they have to really worry about offense. The offensive side of the ball for the next couple of years, we don't really know how many more years Tom Brady's going to play. Tom Brady, like, he's not going to, and he shouldn't. But we've seen quarterbacks over the years, they retire when they win a Super Bowl. Peyton Manning retired when he won a Super Bowl. He wasn't the biggest impact in that Super Bowl, but – Tom Brady could retire after this year, but he's not going to. He's going to try to win another one. So the Bucs are going to do everything they can to get Brady another Super Bowl ring. If he's going to go out there, put his body on the line, Brady wants to win another one. He's already out there practicing, hashtag road to eight or whatever. Um, so it's, it, they, they need to bring back talent. To they, they, can't, they can't waste Tom Brady's tenure. They're not wasting it at all, but – the, the next year of his contract, I, I think they, they need to just get hold these players and bring in a similar team next year. Yeah. So we were, we were talking about aging players. Uh, one, one player was recently uh, released in Houston, one of the, probably the you know s- most screwed up situation in all of football, J.J. Watt. Zach, tell me a little bit, like, what do you think about J.J. Watt? What teams, what teams do you think he lands at? Um, yeah. So. Uh, and I think to start the teams that I see him possibly going to, I think one that just sticks out to me um, would be the Steelers. You know, both yeah. his brothers play there, uh, TJ, and uh, I don't remember the other one. Derek. There we go. Um, obviously, they both play there. Uh, the Steelers' defense is a, is a pretty good defense. And I feel like, you know, maybe if Steelers can figure it out in a year or two, maybe they have a shot at per se Super Bowl. I don't know how realistic that is, but you know, I do think JJ Watt, obviously every player's goal is to win a Super Bowl and free agency, you're gonna go as a team, probably gives you the best shot to do that. Um and the second team I'd say with the Bills, similar to the Steelers, obviously without the brothers, but the Bills showed this year that I mean they made the AFC, you know, championship game. They definitely have a good young core of players and on the defensive side, they definitely have some stars. You got Tredavious White. Um Tremont Edmonds is a, is a good player himself. You know, I think it's going to be for teach for JJ Watt, the best fit scenario, you know, where he probably sees himself playing the most. Yeah. But I think the Steelers and Bills are probably on, you know, one of the top, top teams on his lists. Totally. And I, I forgot to really like introduce Watt, but you know, Watts accumulated 101 sacks in his career over 530 combined tackles, 25 forced fumbles, Force of nature, always uh, the cornerstone of that defense. Uh, you know, in 2012, why well, had one of the best seasons football fans had ever seen from a defensive player. 20 and a half sacks, 39 tackles for a loss. Insane. But though over the last couple of years, we've seen the decline of Watt, whether that's the system he's in or his body just deteriorating, we're unsure. So he's turned in nine sacks in the last 24 games. That's not the J.J. Watt that we've seen. I mean, I, ju- I just said it. It's he had 20 and a half sacks. And I believe the 16 games that he played in that year. I mean, that's over a second game, but now he's not even at half a sack per game. Right. In 2018 alone, he had 16 sacks in the 16 games he played. So it's like, we, I don't, I, I haven't watched too much JJ Watt because I don't really dive into the Houston Texans often, but you know, it's clear just looking at his numbers. Um, but you know, he, 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 
made such a big impact in Houston during the hurricane. Uh, he put so much time in, so much money into helping those victims out. And it's truly a shame that a player like that, you know, has to go because they were unable to, to win while he was there. They got to the playoffs, but they didn't win. Um, but back to where I think he could land, you just said the Bills. I mean, the Bills, I mean, besides those two guys, I mean, they've got Micah Hyde, whatever. It, they don't really have a good defense. That's their, that's their biggest issue. If they, if they had a defense, they definitely would have had a shot against Patrick Mahomes. They already had a shot, but they would definitely put up a better fight against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. I don't think Watts – I don't think they're one piece away on that defense from, no. you yeah. know, getting to the Super Bowl, but Watt is definitely a good, you know, player to start with. I mean, they have aging Jerry Hughes that's, you know, chasing after the quarterback. I think J.J. Watt could be a player that you could bring in. Not the biggest market, but – a team that the, the second best team in the AFC, in my opinion. And then you got the third best team in the AFC, in my opinion, the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, we won't talk about it in this episode, but they recently earlier today got Carson Wentz from the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I think the, the Colts have the best defense in the AFC. They might have, I'd say they're a top three defense in the NFL. So adding a guy like JJ Watt could you know, could really help them out. They, they, they have DeForest Buckner. They have Darius Leonard. Um, pretty sure Justin Houston's going to still be there next year. If not, they'll probably resign. And he played pretty well this year. That secondary is young, but proving themselves. Xavier, Xavier Rhodes, Rocky Scene. Uh, so I think adding, adding J.J. Watt is a is – a, I think they might be one piece away on that defense. I don't know about the offense yet, but I think that defense – is dominant and and they could bring in JJ Watt and prove themselves. And um, with the Colts, I think I just lost my train of thought. I apologize. Um, You're good. I don't so, know. I don't know where you. No, yeah. So I mean, but I think with the Colts, I I think. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. They're gonna play the Texans twice a year. It's a division rival. He he might want he might be extra motivated to go to a team within that division, and just light them up. Another team is like the not in the not in their division, but like the Packers. There's also a connection there. He was born in Wisconsin, um, so I think you know the two like narrative teams that he could go to are the Steelers and the Packers with his brothers and then his hometown. But I think if we're being realistic, I think the Bills and Colts are two teams that could really use JJ Watt. Um, a lot of teams have one good edge rusher, but not really a second one. So I think, I think these are two teams that could just add Watt and he'd make a difference immediately, although he's not the same player. So we've talked about him a lot during this podcast, um, not during this podcast, but throughout the whole series, Deshaun Watson and how messed up that situation is that relationship, whatever you want to call it. It's not even a relationship anymore. Um, so Watson, the, 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 the CEO, the GM said, uh, I think it was the CEO said that he expects Watson to be a Texan, basically saying they gave us, gave him all that money and he's going to be a Texan. And we hope that he's a Texan. That's just not, that's just not going to happen. It's not how the bowl rolls. When a player wants something, especially someone that's really good, they're going to get it. And, you know, you see it in the NFL almost every year. 
I would use Antonio Brown as an example when he was on the Raiders, but you know, that wasn't, you know, an ideal situation, especially criminal charges. But uh, yeah, I I just think Deshaun Watson needs to um, just do his own thing. If the Texans want to be stubborn and the Texans are going to ask for three first round picks and two good defensive players, that's not, that's not, that's not how it's going to get done. They're going to need to get multiple first round picks probably from the jets and and do that zach do you have any thoughts on the, that situation or are you pretty fed I mean, up with i just feel bad for sean watson obviously he wants to win and there's not much he can do but you know i guess just holding out i guess is is his best shot yeah. um the texans gm has made it clear that his it is not even in his like mind or not to even trade yeah sean watson so i think that's definitely hard but I do hope a team, you know, maybe like the Jets is able to come up with an offer that is suitable for both teams and they can get the Sean out of Houston. Yeah. I mean, I, I listen to uh, WFAM, which is a New York sports radio network. And I feel like it's like more and more, like, I think that how, how stubborn the Texans are being, I feel like it's like f- kind of fading away from Jets fans. Cause there are a lot of jet fan hosts on the, on, uh, on the fan. And I don't really hear Deshaun Watson's name as much. Like it doesn't really seem as optimistic as they did a couple of weeks ago. Um, the general consensus is that they might go quarterback, but teams have called them up about Sam Darnold and they've told them to wait, uh, wait it out. I think it was like seven or eight teams. Albert Breer reported it pretty reliable source. Um, but the jets are going to look at film of these rookie quarterbacks and they're going to make a decision. And the jets have first five, five first round picks over the next three years and they could you know use three of those I mean it's 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 a lot but they could use three of those and go get Deshaun Watson and you know still move on but another upset quarterback is Russell Wilson he said that he's sick of getting hit and in this in the past uh offseason the they got rid of Brian Schottenheimer their offense coordinator a passing guy they brought in they they're they're bringing in a guy I believe it was the Rams um, passing game coordinator, but Pete Carroll wants to start running the ball a lot more. And I understand they've got Chris Carson in the backfield. And, you know, it's hard to believe that they want to start running the ball more when he can't even stay on the freaking field. But, you know, I don't think that really made Russell Wilson too happy. And then him going out in the public saying, Oh, it bothers me that like, I, I understand he wants, he wants to, he wants to, you know, have a longer career, and he wants to win. And maybe Seattle's just not the place. I mean, they kind of just folded against the, the Rams in the playoffs. So I don't know how easy it's going to be for a trade because he's the quarterback who makes probably the most money in the NFL. I think he's in the top yeah. three. So, Zach, do you see any chance Russell Wilson gets traded? I mean, I, as a Giants fan, I would want him to get traded to the Giants. But do you see him going anywhere? You just think he – Um, I don't. I don't. I think – I remember um, he definitely said that he wants more say in, you know, their free agent moves or, or their trades in the organization. So I do think that he's probably going to stay, stay in Seattle. And I'm hoping that the GMs just kind of give him or the Seattle general manager gives him more of a say in obviously who they acquire in the all season or who they trade for. And other than that, I mean, Russell Wilson is, you know, I feel like he's kind of similar to Patrick Mahomes in the fact that they both like to scramble, like kind of, you know, obviously we saw 
a lot of scrambling from Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. But that offensive line is key, right? We've seen multiple quarterbacks that struggle with an offensive line get hit, you know, tens of times, you know, you know, throughout a season. But a guy like Russell who runs out of the pocket, uh, he needs protection if he wants to be successful. Yeah. So I think that the Seattle Seahawks better start, you know, getting him protection or, you know, Russ may, may demand a trade in the upcoming future. Yeah. And Russell Wilson's not getting any younger, you know, his no. legs aren't getting any fresher. So he's not going to, you know, Russ, Russ has already, you know, taken back his, his, he's, he moves out of the pocket, but he, he scrambles when he needs to. And there's sometimes where he needs to scramble and he ends up throwing a stupid ball, but, um, Russ needs the protection because he's not going to be running as much. So, right. I mean, I think their best offensive lineman was like aging Mike Upati, who's a guard and he's played forever. So they really need to invest some sort of money uh, in their offensive line. And another and a fantasy football insight here, that news about Pete Carroll not wanting to run the ball more, I'd say fire up Chris Carson and look for down years from Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. But enough with that. We're gonna flip. We're gonna flip the bat over to the Major League Baseball. Uh, we've had two major moves. One being more recent than the other. Uh, Zach, you know that that 2018 Red Sox outfield. You got Mookie Betts, Jackie Belly Jr., who's a free agent at the moment, probably not gonna resign with Boston, and Andrew Benintendi, who was just traded. It must be pretty, you know, sad. And I feel for you that all of your outfielders are falling apart in Boston. But, hey, I guess it's rebuild time. Zach, walk us through the Ben Benintendi trade, um, and what are your thoughts? And how, what, what do you think the other teams got? Well, first, I'm just going to say a quick thing that the 28 field, 2018 outfield, I think, was the best outfield in the major leagues that year. And, you know, I, I think that they're all studs still. But, <laughs> you know, this this trade was, was interesting, had multiple parts, multiple teams, so – as a breakdown, the Royals, they got Andrew Benatendi from Boston. Uh, Cleo Mack, who was in the Royals farm system, was – Cleo Lee, not Cleo Mack. Cleo Lee, not Cleo <laughs> Mack. Cleo Lee, we're in, we're in baseball here, Zach. was traded <laughs> from the Royals to the Mets. Right. And, I mean, the Red Sox. So, the Red Sox got Frankie Cordero from the Royals. Josh Winkowski from the Mets. Two players to be named later. Later. Two players to be named later mm-hmm. from Kansas City and one player to be named later from the Mets. So, you know, a quick rundown of the deal, you know, I'll cover the Mets and Red Sox. You'll, you'll take the Royals on this one for the Mets and Khalil Lee. You know, I think it was a great pickup for the Mets. Khalil Lee showing that he's a very good baseball player has very good IQ runs the base as well. Um, I remember we were talking about it a couple, you know, obviously it happened about a week ago. We talked about it in the sense that, you know, he's not the fastest player, but he steals a ton of bases. Um, He's, yeah, like I said earlier, very good IQ. And he's really going to help the Mets in their outfield depth. So, you know, as we pointed out today, the Mets have signed three center major league level center fielders, Mm -hmm. uh, Malik Smith, Albert Almora Jr. and Kevin Pillar. Mm -hmm. But those guys are all, you know, up there in their age. They're not necessarily the youngest players on the market by any chance. And the Mets do need to think about a future. And Khalil Lee definitely brings that. Um, you know, the Mets had two outfield prospects in their top 20. Yep. But now, obviously, Khalil 
Lee, ranked number seven in the Mets, you know, top 50 prospects. He definitely gives him that that oomph level right. of, of skill, you could say. Um, and another big key is he has all three of his minor league options left. So that's important news to the Mets, who if Pilar or Malik Smith, you know, goes down with an injury, yep. well, they can, you know, bring up Khalil Lee for, you know, a week or two, play him, and if they have to send him back down, they send him back down. No, I do think that's going to be a really, really good situation for Khalil Lee in New York. Um, but, yeah, I know you had – I think you had yeah. something about him you wanted to share. Right, yeah. So, I think the Mets have a lot of flexibility. And then in, in this offseason, there's been a lot of talks about how bad Brandon Nimmo is in center field. Brandon Nimmo does a lot at the plate, getting on base, but he's not the best defensive center fielder, and they're looking, they're looking to, you know, change that. Uh, they're, they're, they, they brought in Malik Smith. He's speedy. Albert Amore is one of the better fielders uh, and better center fielders when it comes to defense and baseball. And then they've got Kevin Pillar, who just makes highlight plays. I, I saw that um, his like out saved was pretty, pretty low among outfielders. So they have a lot of flexibility. They can play Nimmo out there. They could even play Conforto out there in center field. Um, but Khalil Lee is pretty interesting. So in 399 minor league games, he's hit 256, slash 256, 366, and 409. So one thing that stands out for me is the on-base percentage. Khalil Lee works deep counts, um, which in turn actually raises his swing and miss rate. Uh, and that's high because of his passiveness at the play. Like he's, he's not, he's not an aggressive hitter. Um, and his strikeout rate is 28.2, which is super high from a player like this. He's not a, he's not a power hitter by any measure. So when a player like this is striking out a lot, they need to change their approach a minute, uh, a bit, but he does walk a lot and his on-base percentage is pretty high. So I think he has that going for him. Um, stole 53 bases in double a in 2019. Uh, that, that obviously shoots off the paper. You don't really see a lot of guys stealing bases, um, there are too many guys racking up those kind of numbers nowadays. Um, I think that's different in the minor leagues, but you know, Khalil Lee, I've read that he's more the, he's probably going to be more of a right fielder for the Mets in the future or, or for whatever team he, you know, plays on when he's ready. Um, he's got a strong arm and he can move. So if, if he can start becoming a more passive aggressive hitter, you know, working, working the count, but also, you know, Knowing that his pitch his pitch is coming and he needs to jump on it, uh, I think this I think the swing and miss rate is going to go down. Uh, he's still going to walk a lot, and he's definitely going to be able to move. Zach, yeah. talk to me about the Red Sox and what they brought in. Well, yeah. So I mean, as a Red Sox fan, th this trade definitely hurts to see Benintendi leave, but I do think we're we're accomplishing the goal that uh, Chom Bloom is how you pronounce it, I believe I'm is. Chan, whatever, whatever, whatever. It anyway. Um, you know, they're accomplishing the goal they set out to do, and that's you know, kind of rebuild the farm system, get these prospects in, take two or three years, you know, to develop them, and then obviously come back when we have you know a lot of our star players in their prime. Yeah, and find for players who are cost efficient, who we can replace, you know, guys who are more expensive and. Yeah. For that part of it, you know, you look at Benintendi, he was making about uh, $6.4 million or, or somewhere, somewhere yeah. in that kind of range. 
um, this season. And the Red Sox were able to ship him off and, and get Frankie Cordero, who's kind of, you know, the bigger – or the guy who's replacing Ben Ten, you could say, in the future. And he's making about $500,000. So right there, you know, that's a, obviously a lot of money. The Red Sox are saving, you know, for future years. So that's a plus. Obviously, that goes along with the plan. Um, but then, obviously, building up the building up their prospect system. Frankie Cordero, he's not really a prospect anymore. I'd say you know he's 26 years old, I believe, yeah. and he only has 284 at bats in the major leagues. So that could be a little bit scary. But you know, Red Sox see something see something in him. Obviously, I think with his power levels, he has uh, shown that he can hit the ball pretty well. Um, I think he had in 2018, I think he had like seven or eight home runs and 130 at bats. Right. So, you know, he definitely has pop in his bat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Red Sox came out and did say they're going to give him a lot of uh, opportunities in this upcoming spring training to kind of slide himself into the outfield with Verdugo and uh, newly signed Hunter Renfro. Yep. But I think it'll be interesting to see how Frankie Cordero turns out. I mean, hopefully he is something because we did, we did give away a uh, pretty young player in Andrew Manatendi. Yep. But, you know, covering the other prospects, uh, Josh Wink, Wink, Winkowski. I some tough names, I, I know. Yeah, it's, uh, um, I think, I mean, that sounds right, Winkowski. Um, yeah, roll with it. He is the pitcher of the deal, you could say. The Red Sox definitely need to get up their pitching yep. prospects. Um in their top 50 prospects, he's now ranked 30th, which in no mean is great, but, you know, it's doable, you could say. Mm. Um, he has not pitched above double, or he's not pitched above single A. Obviously, last season, he was supposed to be, you know, slotted into the uh, Blue Jays double A pitching rotation. But mm. obviously, with coronavirus and the minor league season canceled, he did miss a year. So that, you know, can play a factor. But a thing the Red Sox like about him is, the way that he is a very good off-speed uh, pitch in the slider, it's very effective, and you know he likes he throws hard. He's a upper 90s guy consistently, mm-hmm. and the Red Sox, you know, think they can work with that. Uh, kind of reminds him of Nathan Evaldi a lot. Okay. So, in the Red Sox, hope that obviously at some point he's able to perform at the major league level. I know you have a story about uh yeah about our guy Josh. Oh yeah, so so Josh a couple of weeks ago was traded from Toronto to the Mets in a deal with Steven Matz. Um, so he's been with the team for, for two weeks. So he's, he's playing video games with his, his former minor league teammates in Toronto uh, that play for Toronto and his phone's blowing up and it's like the end of a, end of his video game. So it's getting intense. And he sees he has like four missed calls, like all from his agent and he gets traded again. And like, I, 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 I feel for the guy because he said he was super surprised when he was traded from Toronto originally. And then he gets traded again two weeks later. This guy hasn't pitched beyond single A and he's been traded twice. This guy's, I, I, I feel bad for the guy, you know? Um, but I thought that was pretty funny. And then you got, you got Franchi Cordero, who's, um, he hasn't really shown too much. But no. one thing that pops off the paper or really off the TV screen is, how hard he hits the ball. Uh, he, I think in the 2018 season, he had two, two home runs of like 113, 14 exit velocity. So he hits the ball super hard. I'm sure that's, that's the reason why the Mets want, or the, the Red Sox wanted him. Sorry. He was actually moved last year 
uh, from San Diego. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it was kind of like they just dumped them off. And here he is getting traded for Andrew Benintendi. So clearly the Red Sox see something because otherwise that wouldn't have been the player that they would have wanted to acquire. And we don't really know the two players from KC uh, and the other one from them. No, I think I read something. They said that because of all the uncertainty, uncertainty with coronavirus, the Red Sox are going to get those players once the minor league season starts, just so there's no issues uh, with Corona, I guess. I don't know why, why, why you want that when season starts. Why? I don't know, but. Yeah, I don't know. But, that's, uh, that's, that's what Nesson, Nesson.com had said. So Okay, yeah. So I'm going to kind of shift it over to Andrew Benintendi and what I think he is in Kansas City. So I think Benintendi will thrive in Kansas City. We've seen a bunch of left-handed hitters play super well in Kansas City. You had Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakis. So in Kansas City, he's now their guy there. And he's surrounded by a pretty underrated team that I think is going to overperform this year. Well, not overperform, but they're, they're better and they're going to perform better. So we look at Andrew's numbers. They were clearly down over the past two years. He only had 39 at-bats in 2020, struggled, uh, and his production in 2019 was nothing to write home about. So regardless, this is a great fit in that Kansas City lineup that is predominantly right-handed. So you had you had the addition of Benintendi, but then you also have the addition of switch-hitting first baseman Carlos Santana, who ranked for the Indians for years, and center fielder Michael Taylor, who a couple years back had – a 270 20 home run a year and plays good defense. So the Royals one through nine looks really solid. So besides Ben and Tenney's arrival, I'd say look for bounce back seasons from designated hitter Jorge Soler and third baseman Hunter Dozier and all around improvements from the switch hitting shortstop Alberto Mondesi. Power and defense, which you, you know, expect from former all star catcher Salvador Perez and just overall consistency from the second baseman right fielder Whit Merrifield. Whit Merrifield will give you. Th- 300 average, 20 steals, probably 30 doubles. He's a, he's a great, he's a great, he's a great player. I wouldn't call him young anymore. Um, But you know, that, that offensively, that Royals team looks pretty dang good. I slot them in. We're not going to get into predictions yet too much, but I slot them in third in the AL Central. I think they just jumped the Cleveland Indians who just moved Francisco Lindor may eventually move up move uh jose ramirez they've, they've actually gotten a few guys they br- brought back cesar hernandez they got eddie rosario so they have they they still have a squad and they and they have great young pitching but you know i i just think that i think that royals team is just going to play well this year and i'm talking about the lineup but how about the rotation so on paper you know you have brad keller danny duffy Brady singer and a guy who pitched for them during their world series year mike minor one guy that i think is the 24-year-old Brady Singer. I think he's going to put together a great sing, uh, great singer, great year on the mound and show the big league what he's all about. He's a top prospect. He pitched pretty well uh, through in a 4.06 ERA with a sub 1-2 whip. Uh, he's got he's got a great pitch mix and I think the strikeout numbers go go up as well in this breakout year that I'm referring to. So, look out for him. You know, Keller's a solid right-handed pitcher. You have Miner who's a veteran Duffy, you know, he's pitched there for a while. I and, and the and the Royals bullpen's, you know, solid as well. So yeah, I I I'm high on the Royals this year, as you can tell. Um, I think their over under and wins was like 72 and a half. I'm taking the over. Uh yeah, so, yeah, that's that'd be a good yeah. So then you got you got Trevor Bauer, the richest man in baseball, uh, when it comes to an annual value. 
It's just, it, it's just mind blowing. It's mind blowing that Trevor Bauer is going to make more money than Mike Trout next year. Like what? How is Trevor Bauer making more money than Mike Trout? Makes no sense. Uh, so the deal really goes, um, he gets 40 in 2021. Uh, he can opt out of the season or opt out after the season. Then he gets 45 million in 2022, which I don't know why he'd ever opt out for that or in the first season. And then he gets, I, I believe, 18 or 17 or 18 million in the third. So he's obviously going to opt out after that second year. So it's a very flexible contract. It's a short-term contract. So I was a bit skeptical about this move. And I'm not sure if my, my stance has really changed. This, this move proves that the Dodgers have the most starting pitching depth in all of baseball. Um, and everything, everybody knows that the key to winning a World Series championship is through timely hitting and pitching depth. The 2021 Dodgers starting pitchers go as Walker Buehler, Clayton Kershaw, Trevor Bauer, David Price, Dustin May, Julio Urias, and Tony Gonsolin. That, that, that's ridiculous. They, they didn't even need to add Trevor Bauer to have – I mean, they didn't, they didn't need to have Trevor Bauer to have an insanely depthful rotation. But there's another perspective to this. You know, the division rival San Diego Padres made a bunch of offseason moves, acquiring 2018 Cy Young Award winner Blake Snell and Yu Darvish. Um, I'm not saying that San Diego is better than the Dodgers, but they're certainly going to make a run for that division title. Uh, and the Dodgers need to make a big splash to assert their dominance, you know, prove that they're the team in the NL West and remain the World Series favorites in the National League. So based on Bauer's career stats, he should not be making 40 plus million. Nowadays in the big leagues, having a below four ERA is looked upon as, you know, pretty solid. His ERA in his career is 3.9. And in 2019, this is an eye-opener, and he had a 4-5 ERA, uh, which in, his, in the most of its uh, – sorry. In the most starts of his career, he had 34 that season, and he had turned in a 4-5 ERA. If that doesn't show who Trevor Bauer really is, I mean, how, how much improving improvements are, is he going to have throughout the end of his career? He showed who he was. But then in 2020, he goes in, has like a sub – two ERA, 12 starts, and goes seven innings, 12 strikeouts in the playoffs. And that's really what earned him this contract. Because if he, if he had the 2019 season all over again, he's not making anything near $40 million a year. So this price tag, this, this was his price tag all along in the offseason. We didn't know that it was going to be such a short-term deal. He hinted at it that he likes short-term deals, but he could have gotten a long-term deal. I think the Mets offered him a longer one. Um, but the Bauer contract could really prove to hurt the Dodgers. You know, shortstop Corey Seager will be a free agent after the season. And he's guaranteed to get at least 27, maybe to $30 million. And he's, he, he, he's one of the better hitters in, in baseball when he's healthy. And obviously one of the best shortstops. And we saw, we saw, and which we're going to talk about in the next video, uh, Fernando Tatis, um, just racked in 14 years, 340 million. That's $24 million a year. I don't think you're going to base Corey Seager's value off Fernando Tatis. I think, you know, you have Lindor, you have Baez, and you have Trevor Story all becoming free agents next season. I think there they're going to really set the bar. So I think you probably get 27 to $30 million for Corey Seager. Um, another thing to note is the Dodgers are already are, are going to need to pay Cody Ballinger and Walker Buehler. Um, I think Buehler's a year after, I think it's 2025, but they just paid out his arbitration years and Cody Bellinger. So they don't really have to worry about 
re-signing uh, Walker Buehler just yet. But some teams, like they just did with Tatis, um, will will give him an extension to wipe out his arbitration years and then have a remaining contract after. So like he's he won't have to enter free agency. But they haven't done that yet with Bueller, and they're going to give Cody Bellinger a long-term deal. It would surprise me if they're not. They're already paying Mookie Betts, and along with that, they're paying hefty salaries to David Price, A.J. Pollock, Justin Turner, who they just re-signed, and Joe Kelly. I know I named just like three Red Sox. I know you're probably wondering about that. But, you know, bringing back Seager is now in question. The Bauer, the Bauer contract could definitely hamstring Los Angeles and prevent them from signing their homegrown talent. And I can speak on it from a Yankee fan perspective. Yankees got John Carlos Stanton in 2018 and here they are. They can't, they can't spend any, they can't spend any money because of how much money Stanton makes. I'm not saying that Bauer is going to be inept on the Dodgers, but having Stanton's contract for all these years may take away a a Glaber or a judge. Um, But even before signing, this is my final point. Even before signing Trevor Bauer, the Dodgers were able to win a world series with their current pitchers. They didn't really need to do this. I guess they, they had the money to, to, to give to a pitcher and it's, it's a short-term contract, which is probably a benefit for them. They didn't give him a Garrett Cole deal. They gave him a Trevor Bauer deal, which was short. They did. They, they didn't need to really sign him. Um, but this contract really depends on how, how he pitches. He could go into next year, toss 200 innings to a sub three, seven, five ERA. And I'd say, I'd say they'd be satisfied, but those aren't $40 million numbers. No. Trevor Bauer, Tr- Trevor Bauer is not going to go in there and, and toss under a, a two ERA. That's what Jacob deGrom does. Jacob deGrom should be the highest paid pitcher in baseball, not Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer making $40 million is ridiculous, but how can you really argue with it, uh, with it if they're going to win the World Series? And I, I don't really know, unless they lose out on Corey Seager. I guess that'd be the only uh, criticism towards it. If the Dodgers go back, like Zach, I, I know you'll probably agree with, agree with me on this, Baseball fans just have to sit back, relax, and see how the Dodgers perform because, you know, if they win a World Series, like I just said, no one's going to be complaining about this Trevor Bauer contract. Right. So do you have anything to fill in? Um, I mean, I really like Trevor Bauer. I started watching his – he did this past year. He had, like, a YouTube YouTube channel. He, like – it was, like, a vlog. Yeah, I mean, I I really – you know, connected and not connected with that, but I, I liked it. It was different view. I don't think any players really done that before. So that was kind of cool. So I do like him. Um, $40 million isn't that, I mean, for a pitcher who like, I think I was talking about this with somebody last year with Garrett Cole. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you pay a lot of these pitchers a lot of money, but they pitch one every five days or, yep. you know, once every five days. And yes, you know, pitching is very, very important. You know, every win you get is critical at the end of the season. But, like, I still believe that the highest-played baseball player should be a batter who's playing, you know, out of the 162 games, he's playing 158, you know, something like that, not a pitcher who's only playing in in 30 games max. So, I mean, I like Trevor Bauer. I think, you know, $25, $30 million might have been more realistic, but – I mean, he won Cy Young. He worked his ass off, butt off, and um, you know, hopefully, hopefully, the Dodgers choke. That's all I can say. Yeah, I mean, the Dodgers choking may lead to a New York Yankees World Series championship. So I don't know if that makes you really any happier. But uh, the Yankees are going to choke too. So oh, okay. it's going to be a. If I had to make a bull prediction at this 
at this moment, I love my bold predictions. I know. The Chicago White Sox are going to win the World Series. Okay. Why? Why? Because the Chicago White Sox are just they're, – they're just, like, good, bro. Like, they're, they're like, dark horses. I would take them to win it, to be honest. Okay. Well, I, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. But, hey, you know, you have your bold takes. I'm not going to – I mean, maybe, maybe we'll post this in the future uh, on our Instagram account. Another thing, last, I know I said I had a final point, but this is my last point. The Dodgers have the highest projected win total since the 1999 Yankees. The 1999 Yankees, one of the greatest teams of all time. And the Dodgers have a, have a similar, have the, have the highest projected win total since then. So that that's interesting to note. I know Vegas is very high on the Dodgers right now. Who wouldn't be? So that is going to be interesting to look at with the Dodgers and how they – uh, how they can play down the stretch and get through the playoffs. But before we sign off today, we'd like to remember the late Vincent Jackson who passed away earlier this week at the age of 38. Jackson was one of the better receivers of our generation, and he spent time with the Chargers and the Buccaneers and throughout his 12-year career, he hauled in 540 passes for 9,080 yards and 57 touchdowns. The three-time Pro Bowler was an absolute monster bringing down the jump balls his 6'5", 230-pound frame made him one of the most feared receivers in the red zone. In 2012, Jackson led the NFL with an absurd 19.2 yards per reception. VJax was an important fantasy football player on my teams growing up, and I enjoyed every second that I saw him play. He was, he was a great player. So our thoughts and prayers go out to the Jackson family, and Vincent Jackson will truly be missed. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you all soon. Peace out.